Welcome to DC's Pride, a gay Star Trek podcast. Today, we have a special guest on the podcast who's going to be talking to us about mental health in Star Trek. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Mike. Hey, Johnson. How are you doing today? Other than wanting to either throw my computer, the microphone, or the whole internet out the window, I'm great. Yeah, you're having quite a few technical issues today, it looks like. And you're not even on video, which is unusual. Yes. Uh, Yeah, I can't explain it. I do not know why my internet wants to act up. Um, Oh, God. Yes. So it's very frustrating. But other than that, uh, you know, other than sweat, it's it's now become muggy. You know, it was cooler earlier mm-hmm. and now it's muggy. And yes. we are recording this on a uh, Monday evening, which is a really odd situation for us. Yes. But there's a reason for that. It's because the entire Trekkies network is going to be in Vegas this week other than us because we're going to be in Boston for a wedding. And we need to get this episode out early this week. So there is a reason and a rationale for why we're recording on a Monday. So happy Monday. Happy Monday. Uh, and also because we have a guest to schedule this fit into. So yes, yes. Speaking of Dr. Sam, do you want to say hi? Well, hello, everyone. And thank you for having me on your podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're really glad to have you here, Dr. Sam. Uh, Mike, did you want to give a little bit of an overview of who our guest is and what he's doing here? Sure. Dr. Samuel Kim is an assistant professor of psychology at the University of Denver in Denver, Colorado. He has a bachelor's from Emory University and a PhD from Georgia State University. He is, uh, his interests lie in positive psychology as well as fostering relationships among youth and their families. So that's really cool. He's a licensed psychologist in both Colorado and Texas. Do they license people in Texas? Really? Um, and, uh, that's not the focus of this episode. <laughs> no, it's not. Not at all. We, we do um, go on tangents once in a while. But we do. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, he's a child of immigrant parents from South Korea. And he also has a podcast, which is really cool, where he talks. It's called Research Sense for Korean American Therapy, uh, where he talks about how uh, he translates current research on Korean and Asian American families to practitioners. So welcome. Do you want to expand upon that a little bit more, Dr. Sam? Uh, Yeah, one of the things that I noticed for the podcast was I I would talk with counselors and other mental health professionals out there. And I realized that 
once they graduate from graduate school, they don't have access to research anymore. They don't have access to the research articles. Like, wait, if you don't have access to the latest research, how can you make sure your practice is up to date? And so each one of the episodes for my podcast is just us talking about a different research article. So each one is a different article that we find that's based on um, Asian Americans or Korean Americans and about mental health. Very cool. And uh, he's a Star Trek fan, in case you haven't guessed. Uh, and uh, also a member of the LGBTQ family. So it's really awesome to be here. And thank you, Johnson, for inviting him on our podcast. Yeah. And then for the listeners who are like, who exactly is this guy? Why is he doing here? Well, Dr. Sam and I met through the internet. Um, and once we got talking, we both realized that we are both huge Star Trek fans. Um, I had to kind of dig into what that meant. And once he told me that he has both the TNG and the DS9 Techno Manual, I was like, okay, all right, this is an acceptable uh, threshold of fandom. And maybe it might be interesting to have him on the podcast, not only to dive into his like and passion for Star Trek, but to also just get his perspective on mental health. And after we kind of noodled on a little bit, uh, wanted to really delve into how mental health is portrayed in Star Trek and like all good Star Trek, um, how it can apply to our lives today. So now that the chief's told you I'm smarter than the average bear, will you stop messing around with my hollow suite? If you turn the program back on. What is it I'm not making clear to you, Charlie? You gotta go. Don't you get it? I can't go out there. Why not? I'm scared, okay? I'm scared. When the war began, I wasn't happy or anything, but I was eager. I wanted to test myself. I wanted to prove I had what it took to be a soldier. And I saw a lot of combat. I saw a lot of people get hurt. I saw a lot of people die. But I didn't think anything was going to happen to me. And then suddenly, Dr. Bashir is telling me he has to cut my leg off. I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it. So we thought that it would be interesting for you, Dr. Sam, to just come on and just give us your perspective. So we are really excited to have you here. Happy to do that. One of the things that I find really interesting is that I'm so surprised that neither of you have noticed my uh, sovereign class and constitution class enterprises on my bookshelf over oh, here. Oh, yeah. I've never noticed that before. I mean, I've seen it, but I haven't registered that and you have all these other figurines too and you have a mario i'm only really seeing it now so that's amazing i'm pretty sure mario super mario brothers is the reason that i grew up loving mushrooms but that's a whole nother story too <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting and uh, uh looks like you have some superman uh figures up there as well so a yeah. yep, I, I grew up loving DC superman universe yep. But I love Marvel too. I'm not one of those people who is one camp or the other. Uh, But I did grow up loving Superman. Um, One of the things about having a 
overpowered hero is that uh, when someone writes a good story about Superman, it's a really good story. Like you have a really good writer. And so uh, I just really enjoy the stories in there. And then the themes of um, immigrants. I mean, Superman at the end of the day is Mm -hmm. an immigrant who comes to uh, earth and tries to figure out what it means to live in this world. And on top of that, he's living these American ideals as well as an immigrant and he's accepted into that society. But this is a Star Trek podcast, right? It is a Star Trek (laughs) podcast. Sometimes, honestly, it turns into a weather podcast. We talk about the weather for like 10, 15 minutes. Um, Last week, what did we talk about, Mike? I feel like it turned into like some other podcast. We talked talked about sleep. We talked about sleep last week. Oh, yeah. We were talking about sleep. (laughs) You were talking about like how well we were sleeping and that went on for probably five or 10 minutes. So then it was like a sleep podcast. Um, it really does kind of run the gamut um, when it comes to the different topics we talk about. So, you know, you're, you're, what you're talking about is nothing new to this particular podcast. We call it Star Trek Podcast, but honestly, it's probably an excuse for us to talk about everything else. So, no, I'm loving this so far. It's a lot of yeah. fun. So, yeah, we, uh, Mike and I definitely um, shoot the shit and it goes in a lot of different directions. And I'm sure sometimes it's frustrating to our listeners, but you know what? I don't care. That's fine. They don't need to listen to us or like us. So that's okay. Um, cool. Well, Dr. Sam, um, just to start us off, I would just love to know, we would love to know um, your first memory of Star Trek and, you know, what was it about it that really hooked you in? What was it about it that really made you a lifelong fan? And to add to that, how has it potentially influenced your journey in life mm-hmm. and how you really look at life in general and your outlook? Yeah, I would say that my first memories were, um, I was one of those kids that grew up with a TV in my bedroom, um, for better or worse. And I remember that one of the shows that I would watch in my room all the time was Star Trek, and it was reruns of Next Generation. Yes. Um, And then slowly I discovered, oh, there's another Star Trek show called Star Trek Voyager. So I actually saw those episodes as they were coming out. Uh, Okay, Uh, so you never, did you not watch DS9 when it was live, or did you... Um, watch it after do you remember i think i was on the tail end of ds9 when i started watching um star trek and so i think i was missing out on the context of the story so it was hard for me to jump in i was like i don't get what's going on why are these people what's going on here whereas voyager and tng tend to be a little bit more of a standalone right uh, right. episodes and then of course my parents just hated seeing aliens they just thought it was disgusting and so it was nice that i was watching it in my room (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, my mom would always watch watch me watch it, and she would be like, oh, what's that show with the ball guy? Of course, talking about Patrick Stewart. That's, that's what she would, that's how she would refer to Star Trek, gotcha. and she didn't get it, so. Yeah, and also one of my earliest memories that I had of TNG was Deanna Troy, and I will say mm-hmm. that, I won't say something super cheesy, like, oh, she inspired me to go into mental health, because I don't think she did that character but i think there is something about that character that contributed to me wanting to go into this field and being able to understand people and uh, i just want to inform our audience that i am not a beta z so i do not read uh, emotions in other people so don't worry about that yeah uh, that's not something that I would have assumed a psychologist would have the ability to do so, though I would expect that some people would expect you to have that ability when they're talking to yes, you. Yes, we, we don't read minds. 
And if we do somehow, I've missed out on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. So, but eventually you did go back and watch DS9 at some point um, yes. and also catch up on everything else. Um, do you have a favorite series? Do you have a favorite episode? You know, I would say that my favorite series is probably Voyager only because I was watching that as the episodes were coming out. Okay. And so I felt the excitement of seeing the previews for the next episode and I and having to wait a whole week to see that episode coming. Uh, I still remember the excitement of getting the previews for Endgame. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to be at home on okay, Sunday it. night at seven o'clock. It's like, I got oh it. It's like, it's like, mom, I have to eat this really fast. Can we have dinner early? And you know, all of that. I think Voyager is my least favorite series. I'm 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 okay with Voyager. After rewatching it okay. two years ago, I I I found a new appreciation for it. Some of the characters okay. were more complex than I remember. Um, but I remember like when I was watching it, it was fine. I thought it was fine. I liked DS9 mm-hmm. more and I missed TNG. But yeah, now I have like a newfound appreciation for Voyager. And when Mike and I went to uh, Star Trek Vision Chicago back in April and Kate Mulgrew was there. I found a newfound, like a newfound respect. I got a newfound respect rather for Kate Mulgrew. She's really, really fascinating and engaging in person. And she's really Mm -hmm. funny and interesting. Um, So I was like, wow, she's actually a really talented actress, writer, person. Um, And that kind of helped me to also see Captain Janeway in a new lens. So um, yeah, well, Cool. Thanks. For well, I'm glad you found a newfound appreciation of Voyager because I was going to reassess our friendship. Ooh. Oh, oh, nice. wow. <laughs> well, you yeah. still need to watch Prodigy. Prodigy <clears throat> is such a good offshoot of Voyager. I, I promise. I yeah. Promise. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll yeah. take a yeah. look. And there's going to be more of that in season two, like more Voyager. Gotcha. Ions, gotcha. So sure. not only am I being told to watch something else, I'm also being given mild spoilers. <laughs> a little bit, but it's meant to be incentive. It's meant to be inside. Gotcha, gotcha. And just to just to say to you, Voyager is you know not my go-to Star Trek, but you know on occasion I do watch it and uh, enjoy enjoy it. So it's not you know even though it's not my go-to, it would mm-hmm. you know still be something that I would watch uh, if it were on or if it you know if we were reviewing something. Um, yeah, and there are some really good episodes. Um, yeah, like yeah, the, the Warp 10 yeah. episode where Janeway and oh, Paris go to Warp 10. And <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Isn't that yes. an amazing episode? <laughs> yes. It's like the a, uh, evergreen joke about Voyager. <laughs> just pretend yeah. that never happened. Yes. Um, Johnston, did, by the way, did you listen? Because you listened to uh, the Delta Flyers, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Did you listen to that? What did they think about did they? Did you listen to the one where they reviewed that one with the Warp 10? Oh, Threshold? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they... Similarly, are just really they, they think it's terrible. Um, both Garrett Wang and Robert Duckham Neal think that it was a total joke. So um, the sentiment amongst the cast is also that it never happened. No, Janeway and Paris never had babies. It just didn't happen. So yeah, the, they they have actually a very they have a very critical view of most of the episodes. They they rate the episodes and they usually on average give the majority of episodes are five or six. So that gives you a sense as to how critical they can be about their own work. Wow. And then just as a side uh, note, I have a friend who um, started watching Star Trek and getting into Star Trek about last year. And mm -hmm. he has a doctoral degree in um, um, 
a biology field. All right, we get it. Your friends are smart. Continue. <laughs> he watched that episode. <laughs> I have never seen him so upset in my life. <laughs> yeah. No, just, I mean, just knowing his background and the science behind how evolution works and things. And he's just, yeah, he, he can't even talk about it. He won't talk about that episode with me. <laughs> yeah. No, sometimes the science is a little dubious, but it's fine. It's fine. Well, cool. So yeah, Dr. Sam, you know, we would just love to dive a little bit deeper into mental health as it is portrayed in Star Trek. And we just love to get some of your general views and your overall thoughts about how Star Trek does approach mental health. Like, is it good? Is it bad? Is it all over the place? Um, obviously, we, you know, we talked a little about Deanna and her counseling technique. Um, yeah, what is your what is your sense about uh, how mental health is viewed in Star Trek? So I have a strong feeling that in this episode, I'm going to be very critical of the things that Deanna Troy and the other instances of counseling um, are in Star Trek. But I do want to start off by saying I strongly appreciate that Star Trek is willing to talk about mental health, that is willing to sure. try to go into these uncharted waters in terms of mental mm -hmm. health. And I think that's something to be lauded. I think that's mm -hmm. something to be appreciated within Star Trek. It's like, they're trying. And right. I want to give credit to that. It's like, you are trying. It's like, yeah. please continue to try. With that said, there are some things <laughs> that kind of irk me the wrong way mm -hmm. uh, when I see certain episodes. So, um, one of the first things that I notice about Deanna Troy on the ship, it's, I was like, oh, it's so cool that she's doing these counseling things with different people and helping them out. And she gets mm -hmm. to be a part of a lot of these meetings, even though most of the time it's pointing out the obvious where she says, Captain, I am sensing anger in mm -hmm. this particular alien. I was like, no shit. The alien. Oh, am I allowed to curse? Yeah, uh, I curse all the like, time. It's like that alien screaming at you and threatening to attack you. I think he's angry. It's like, it doesn't take a beta to figure that out. <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that kind of gets me is within psychology, we have certain ethical codes as well as uh, laws that regulate how we do our work. And one of them is we're not allowed to have dual relationships. Mm. And what that means is, if you are a client of mine, I can't have another relationship with you. So I, you can't be a family member. You can't be a friend. You can't be a coworker. Like I kind of mm. just have to have this one thing. Right, and right. the reason for that is if I know you in another context and I'm giving you therapy, there's always a risk. Something's going to leak out. There's always a risk mm. that I'll say something and other people will find out about something that was told to me in confidence. Likewise, I will know things within the group that could come up even in therapy that may or may not be related. That's also breaking kind of a weird sort of confidence too. So it just muddles things up mm -hmm. with that in mind. I always wondered how did they figure that out so that Deanna Troy can function on a starship? Granted it's a big starship, but how could she function as a ship's counselor and maintain confidentiality in a singular relationship. Um, like, for instance, if she was going around doing counseling with, let's say, Picard, and knew about all the stuff going on with Picard, and then she was also doing counseling with a civilian who was really upset about certain decisions that seemed to be made on the starship and such, 
it's like she knows stuff. And instead of helping that client, she might be inclined to say like, well, this is decision that was made and we have to do it this way. Right. Instead of actually helping them through that. Yeah, that definitely seems complicated because we know that she's really close to the entire bridge crew, like Mm -hmm. obviously looking at Deanna specifically. And she also does offer her counseling services to the entire bridge crew, including Captain Picard. So I could totally see how that could be a little bit complicated and you have those various conflicts of interest. Um, So yeah, I could totally see that being a case. Well, that being said, in real life, do people that know you or are friends with you ever ask you for counseling advice? Like, do they ever come to you with those kind of questions? (laughs) Or do you kind of say like, no, you know, I'm drawing the line here. This is the line. Like, do you say that? Or do you actually offer any sort of insight? Well, first of all, I'm not an asshole. Like if a friend's coming to me for help, I'm not going to say go away. <laughs> wow. um, but typically when friends come to me, I always say to them, it's like, hey, I'm going to talk to you as a friend and just kind of mm-hmm. listen to you and, and do what I can for you. And so I think that's an important line for me to draw with them. And mm-hmm. as I talk with them, if it's kind of like a normal everyday kind of stressors and stuff. It's just like, yeah, we'll just kind of chat, you know, have a drink together. Um, But if it starts to sound something, it starts to sound like something very serious, um, then I'll kind of talk to them about it and then express to them why I think it's serious Mm -hmm. and then help them find a therapist in their local area. Got it. So if we were trying to reflect real life Deanna would be actually giving referrals to people um, mm-hmm. to talk to other counselors or other therapists versus actually being the one to disseminate all this advice on her own. Yeah, I kind of wonder how teletherapy would look like via subspace. I was like, what's the range of that? I mean, it's basically almost all in real time, so like whatever. But <laughs> I mean, let's be real, that's how Star Trek works. But um, I think that, I mean, that would have been interesting if she occasionally mm-hmm. did say, actually, I'm not in a place to help you. I need to refer you to whoever on Mars. That would actually have been kind of interesting if that kind of reflected real life a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also kind of think about, we talk about psychology and mental health, but mm-hmm. we are being biased in the way we're talking about. We're talking about it from a human-centered way of thinking about psychology. You know, what right. would psychology look like and mental health look like for a Klingon or an Andorian? Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, what would it look like for a Vulcan? You know, what does it look right. like for a Romulus? Like, it, it had, there's so many different dimensions mm-hmm. of that. And are there analogous professions? Are there analogous roles on those worlds in which they do those things? And then if there are, the question is, does Deanna just study the psychology of Klingons and Vulcans mm-hmm. and Andorians and other aliens out there and then kind of coalesce it into her profession or does she refer out? It's like, Hmm, you're going through something. I would recommend that you speak to the counselor on Quonos or something. Right. No, that's a good point. Um, I, I do think that Deanna, she has mentioned that she studied other cultures like that episode where Worf, Worf's back broke ethics and Worf wanted Riker to basically help him perform ritual suicide Mm-hmm. Deanna did in that episode have like she she talked to Riker because Will was like all fired up about it 
And then I think Deanna was the one that helped him to process it and was like, no, you don't understand. He's asking you because like you're his best friend or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and for him, it's a matter of honor, um, yada, yada, yada. But um, to your point, I do think that this is one of my biggest critiques about Star Trek. I do think that it takes a very humanist approach to everything. It is a, you know, we were just, Mike and I were just talking about Star Trek Six on Discover Country last week where sometimes the Federation does really seem like a homo sapiens only club um, where everything's about humanity. um, Mm -hmm. When I think the opportunity sometimes in Star Trek is to celebrate and investigate that diversity, particularly when it comes to interspecies relationships. And that's something that, yeah, I feel like we we don't really get to see enough of that um, perspective from other species and what it means to not be human. Versus like, oh, everybody's kind of human, which is very Star Trek, I think. And again, I'm going to be critical of that. But before I become critical, I do want to say because there are so many alien races within Star Trek, even Mm -hmm. in like the original series, Next Generation and Voyager, it did bring light to, wait a second, people are different. They are Mm -hmm. different depending on where they're coming from, their culture, as well as their traditions. However... I think there's an aspect of Star Trek that um, goes into not just looking at, oh, all Klingons are like this, or all Vulcans are like Mm -hmm. this. And what that does is it simplifies a lot of different cultures. For example, to say that all Koreans are like this, or all um, people from you know, France are like this, or all people from Mexico are like this is a little too simplistic, Mm -hmm. especially since our planet is so globalized. Like, People from other countries are enjoying things from other countries. Um, And people here are enjoying more foreign media, such as Squid Game and um, Kingdom and all these other things that are Mm -hmm. coming in. And so, you know, I kind of wished Star Trek had leaned into that a little bit more if that culture piece was something that's important, like leaned into more of what was it like for Worf to grow up with human parents? And what was it like for Worf to grow up in that human world and look more into that struggle between maintaining his Klingon identity while also maintaining his human identity? Like, I would have loved to see Worf celebrate Christmas because he grew up with humans as a kid. It's like, why, why, wait, why didn't we see him celebrate and honor things from his human culture? And all we see is that he is a almost exaggeration of the Klingon culture. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is an interesting point. And I think that sometimes that also translates to how limiting the portrayal of certain cultures within, like you're saying in on one planet might look like on like, for example, we have a lot of humans, but for example, Harry Kim, who is Garrett Wang is Chinese, but he was portraying a Korean character. We don't ever talk. We, we, we hear him talk a lot about his parents and how he wants to go home, but we never hear him talk, say anything about his Korean culture um, or hear him say anything in Korean or anything along those lines. He's basically just another member of the crew that is very similar to everyone, everyone else. Um, and there really isn't that examination of cultural diversity within one race. Um, because I don't see why, even in a few hundred years, that would disappear. You know, it, mm-hmm. like even if we, we were kind of united under one banner and one government, it doesn't necessarily mean that our cultural um, differences would just suddenly homogenize. So I do think that, you know, other than Picard occasionally going to his vineyard and being like, 
France, you know, like it's like, you know, there's so much missed opportunity when it comes to how complex some of these characters could be, um, not only in their cultural, not only celebrating their cultures, but then how they think about things and how that impacts um, their just just their headspace and their mindset and ultimately how that also impacts how they see other cultures too. So Mm -hmm. I do think that's kind of a missed opportunity that we don't tend to see that much of Star Trek. And it is a big missed opportunity, but at the same time, I appreciate Star Trek to have laid the foundation so we can have a conversation about this. Like there are enough foundational pieces within the episodes for us to talk about these more complicated aspects of different cultures and where people are coming from. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. Yeah, I think that it's it would also be interesting um, for us to talk a little bit more about um, just like specific use cases in Star Trek and how we can potentially look at um, some specific instances where we see people struggling with mental health and how we can look at how realistic that was portrayed. Um, how that was approached in Star Trek versus how we should be approaching in real life and kind of recognizing that. Um, and one of the examples that we had talked about prior to recording was looking at one of our, one of our favorite slash notorious characters, Reginald Barkley, um, who definitely has some issues. Um, and once he, when, when he was introduced in The Next Generation, he was basically portrayed as this bumbling idiot, um, very socially awkward, and he was essentially addicted to the holodeck. Um, and he was, he would basically live out his fantasies. He would basically live out the way that he wanted to live life in the holodeck. Um, and yeah, just thought that it would be interesting. Um, and for me, Barkley is kind of a triggering character because he's so awkward. And I used to be really awkward enough. I'm never awkward now. But I used to be like really awkward. So when I see Barkley and, he, and his awkward, his social awkwardness, I'm like, oh my God. I'm like triggered. Um, so, so about that episode, I just uh, watched that today. And which one, I, the TNG one or the Voyager yes, one? Okay. No, the TNG one. So Hollow yeah. Pursuits is a cringe-worthy episode. It I think in today's yeah. context, because mm-hmm. for me watching it, one there's a there's a whole like management perspective of this and how they're talking. Uh, you know how Riker kind of said some things that are come off very angry and frustrated in in the midst of you know the bridge or in front of other characters which mm-hmm. bothered me number one but number two it's clear that um you know watching it now you can tell that they're you know we would probably call it he we would probably say that barkley is on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. uh and so there was no obviously that wasn't a term back then that when they recorded that 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 um that they used, but just the the lack of sensitivity around it, and, and the fact that Jordy had to be basically commanded to be his his best friend and, and told to make it work, which I think is actually really good advice from Picard as an overall leader. Um, but yeah, I, I was watching that and I was like, wow, this this you know there that this is an episode that does not age well and. And I would say that I would not recommend this be shown to any new kind of Star Trek watcher because this is this is actually sort of like the, you know, we say about TOS episodes all the time, how cringeworthy they are because of the treatment of women. I think that this is, you know, this particular episode is a cringeworthy episode of treatment of 
you know, someone who has autism or ha is on the spectrum. And, um, it, it, you know, you, you, it just didn't, uh, vibe with my understanding of the Federation and, or Starfleet and, or, you know, humanity in the 24th century. Um, so I, you know, I thought that that was, yeah, that was actually a really, you know, I was like, having all kinds of like negative feelings, like Johnson watching a TOS episode. Oh yeah. I, I go on and on about TOS episodes. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I think that, yeah, it's, it's kind of a looking back on it now, you know, again, we, we need to watch TV in the context of when it was produced. Not that all TV is timeless because it's really not. I mean, you can't go back and watch like Mary Tyler Moore or the Jeffersons or any of that kind of those kind of, television shows and and put them in context of today's world because it just doesn't work that way but um that yeah, was really think, surprising yeah and i think that's a really important point of looking at what television looked like at the time and what it looks like now because there's mm -hmm. been a huge shift at least what i've noticed of it being initially entertaining that's what television was is entertaining with caricatures exaggerated forms mm -hmm. of people you'd see in life and now we're slowly moving to more realistic versions of people and people that we can more relate to and understand and i think one of the things uh, with barclay is when he was initially introduced i think it's possible that the writers were thinking about autism and if they were, I think they should have brought in a few more elements to it in order to make that fit. But kind of seeing the evolution of that character and the way that it was written, I would say I would personally, and not that I can diagnose a fictional mm -hmm. character that's on a TV Sorry. show uh, who's not a client, but I would say it's more somewhere in the realm of an anxiety disorder. Um, and the reason I say that is if you have autism, you have autism everywhere. And he didn't have it on the holodeck when he was right. interacting with the Voyager, the holographic Voyager crew. Like he was fine with his social interactions. And then we see an endgame later in the future. He's fine with his interactions until there's a stressful situation where he has to lie about where Janeway is mm -hmm. going. And then we mm -hmm. see the stuttering coming back out. We see some of his um, ways of coping with that anxiety come out again. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know what was going on in the brain of the writers at the time, but mm -hmm. that's kind of the feel that I got from it. Right, right. And what are your thoughts about the whole, you know, a common through line in his story arc is his addiction to the holodeck. Mm -hmm. And that would be his space to be quote unquote himself or a more idealized version of himself. Um, what do you think, in terms of how the writers contextualized him being quote unquote addicted to the holodeck. Like, do you feel that that was legitimately an addiction? Do you feel is more like, because sometimes fantasies are helpful, you know, fantasies allow us to kind of, um, you know, release stress. It, there are definitely a lot of mental health benefits to fantasizing um, both in, in real life and then also in a situation like the holodeck or whatever. Um, what do you think about that? And how do you think the writers approached it? Well, initially I'll say my first gut reaction was, oh, this is bad. But that's what the writers wanted me to feel as an audience right. member watching the show. It's like, oh my gosh, this is bad. He shouldn't right. be doing this. But reflecting on it and kind of thinking about it, 
my question is like, is it really that bad? And mm-hmm. the way I come at this and, um, you know, a lot of people come to me, it's like, oh my gosh, am I an addict? Am I addicted to this? Am I an mm-hmm. alcoholic and such? And mm-hmm. they always, the question I always get is, how much do I have to consume of whatever it is in order to be an addict and not, and to be okay. And I say, it's not really about the amount. It's really about what sort of dysfunction is being created in your life. Mm -hmm. So if you enjoy a nightcap on most nights, but you do everything you need to do and there's no dysfunction in your life, your finances are fine, you're going to work, you're going to social events. If you Mm -hmm. miss a drink, it's not that big a deal. But if you're telling me you're missing work, you're skipping out on social things, like your health was going out the wazoo, then it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. I think we have a problem here. And now if we take that lens, that lens of dysfunction being created or not created, Mm-hmm. And look at Barkley with the hologram and uh, the holodeck and going into the holodeck. He was having trouble sleeping. He was having insomnia, mm-hmm. but he could sleep in the holographic version of his quarters on Voyager. Mm-hmm. Don't we want good sleep? Like, I don't know about you. If I don't get good sleep, I am cranky forever. Um, and so part of me is like, well, that's kind of a good thing. He's getting the sleep that he needs. And on top of that, he wasn't in there just to make himself feel better. I mean, there were some instances of that and some like pseudo socialization stuff, but we do see instances of him in that holodeck solving problems. Mm-hmm. Like he's actually working out things, uh, talking with Balana, talking with Chakotay and Janeway and Seven and, and working through some of these issues and problems. And it wasn't portrayed in the episodes because I think the writers really wanted to show this as a problem but i wonder if this was set in a more real life scenario if he was actually making progress in his job Mm -hmm. now granted the writers made it so that he wasn't making progress so his boss was really concerned and checking in on him and said hey you know i really want you to take a break you know why don't you come over to you know our home and you know have dinner with us and you know get to know us better Um, and he missed out on that 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 part concerned me. And I think that was Mm -hmm. a good show on the writer's part to show like, okay, this is an addiction because he is demonstrating dysfunction. But I also kind of had this other end of it. It's like, okay, if this was a real life scenario, would there be dysfunction? Like, would he have skipped out in having that dinner with his boss or not? Right. Right. And I think that that's really interesting because again, to where you're saying the writers are, especially in Hollow Pursuits, the original TNG episode, they they like you're saying they want to make us feel something, and they want very clearly for us to feel that this is wrong and that this is not good. But mm-hmm. once you start to break it down and you try to like it's it's like every like sometimes Star Trek can be a little heavy-handed, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not necessarily the most nuanced show with a lot of gray area, like. That's not all Star Trek, but sometimes it's, it is very heavy-handed. Um, and I think this is a case where there's probably more gray area to potentially explore and talk about. Because in that original TNG episode, it happens a little bit less in the Voyager episode, but in the original TNG episode, basically the bridge officers go in, they like see that Barkley is running this fantasy program, and they want their initial reaction is to shut it all down. You know, They're like, delete these characters and shut down the program. Um, and obviously that's, Part of that is the writers telling us how to react. 
Um, but I would love to know, like in a real life situation, say, you know, obviously you don't have a holodeck, but, you know, say if it is this situation where you are talking to someone who is kind of maybe skirting the edge of addiction because they are functional, but they're probably relying mm-hmm. a little bit too much on something. How should we be like, obviously we're not going to just shut it down cold Turkey. I don't think that's necessarily the way to go, but what would the proper way be to recognize and to gauge whether or not there is a problem and then to actually properly intervene? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think we can jump off of kind of what was happening in that episode. It's you got to get to know the person. It's not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm reminded of the words of GK Chesterton has nothing to do with Star Trek uh, who said, don't ever take offense down without knowing why it was put up in the first place. And so you don't ever want to just whip up something or say, stop it completely or like mm-hmm. get rid of something without understanding why it was put there. Mm-hmm. So if someone, let's say, is drinking a little too much or they're you know engaging in drugs a little too much and it's causing dysfunction in their life and I'm working with them, my first thought isn't, oh my gosh, I need to get you to stop doing it. It's what's pushing you to do this? Mm-hmm. Like what's mm-hmm. pushing you to this point so that this is the only thing that you can do? And once we get an understanding of that, then we can kind of start talking about, okay, is this a situation where we want to tackle that problem that's getting this person to this point? Or is this a situation where we want to find other kinds of coping mechanisms? Like, for instance, the uh, I'm going to go back to the Voyager episode. Sure, yeah. I don't know why that's so salient in my mind right yeah, now. Yeah, you love but Voyager. The, we get it. Yeah. This, <laughs> <laughs> the sleeping like he couldn't sleep right. but he could sleep on that holodeck simulation of his voyager quarters mm-hmm. i think i would say if i was seeing him as a client in for his insomnia i would tell him like okay sleep in the voyager quarters for a week like we'll get permission that's where you're going to sleep for this week Mm-hmm. Next week he comes in, he's like, he's fully rested, he's getting good sleep. I would say, okay, now let's try every other day this week. And let's try to replicate the same um, pillows and blankets that they use in mm-hmm. the Voyager Starship and replace yours uh, with that. And then I'm sure there are ways to like change the walls and stuff too, it's like replicate new walls and new lights or whatever. Sure. Um, and slowly move that back into the real life. And I mean, if he likes sleeping with his Voyager blankets, who cares? It's like, let him sleep with his Voyager blankets. I mean, I kind of want to try the Voyager blankets. I wonder if they're comfortable. I think they look kind of itchy, but you know, <laughs> to each their own. Yeah, no, that's, that's really, that that's really interesting. And I think that, yeah, I think I love what you said. Like just the first step is actually getting to know the person because I think, we all have a tendency to judge um, mm-hmm. before we really try to get to know. Um, I think that's very natural for us. Um, I know for me that, you know, sometimes I, I jump to conclusions um, before really getting to know someone. Um, so I think that's really, really helpful advice that we all should. And, and, and doesn't people. Star Trek teach us to not judge people? Of course. As yeah. soon as we meet them, oh my gosh, your listeners are going to crucify me. What's that episode where they only speak in metaphors? Oh, Darmok. Darmok, yes, yes. It's like, that's clearly an episode where we shouldn't judge someone just based on Mm. what we see in here. Yeah. 
talking about some other um, instances in in Star Trek, like what where else have you seen great examples of of mental health portrayals or or issues? For instance, like uh, I know you're you're more of a Voyager than a DS9 fan, but uh, you know if you haven't if you haven't going back and seeing the the evolution of Nog as a character in Deep Space Nine. And and how he loses his leg and that whole um, um, progression is really for me. I, I can see that um, that being a great example of a mental health portrayal. But more recently, um, you know, one of our you know we we mentioned him before. I think before we recorded, but you know Wilson Cruz um, specifically in you know season, the beginning of season three or throughout season three of Discovery was really trying to help that crew get through the trauma of leaving everything that they know behind and only having themselves to rely on as, as you know, as their family and their support system and how he, um, he starts to, min- you know, I was going to say minister to, but, you know, more appropriately, like act as a counselor um, to the crew do you have any thoughts on on his you know on that portrayal or or any other portrayal in, in more modern Star Trek? So I will say <clears throat> what I will say is specifically your example of Nog from Deep Space Nine is one of the first examples that I remember where it was, oh, there is some sort of you know trauma or something that's carried through it's not Mm -hmm. just neatly tied up and within a 45 minute episode it's like oh i had this happen i get angry for a few minutes and then it's all better because x happened right Um, right. and i think that was one of the first times where that really occurred um because we're gonna go back to voyager again i just kept thinking it's like (laughs) all goes back to voyager (laughs) (laughs) You just got launched to another quadrant on the other side of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. There's got to be pissed off people because of that. You know, people who've lost their families and you only saw, and I could be wrong. And I'm sure there was an example of like one or two people, but it was only in the Maquis that expressed any discontent with that. It seemed like that all the Starfleet crew were completely fine with it. I was just like, yeah, I don't care if I was part of Starfleet. I would be pissed off about that. I'd be like, mm-hmm reeling about this um and then when i just and harry kim sort of represented that you know a little as much as, as much as possible right. back then in that kind of storytelling environment he was like i miss my parents that was like that was it it was yeah like, I miss parents. it was just like yeah. oh i miss home and i wish i was there it was more of like a oh you're oh you pitiful little thing or i'm also from georgia so i said oh bless your little heart um but <laughs> Wait, is harry kim from georgia no, I am. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, well, I completely lost an analogy. Okay, continue. <laughs> I wonder if there will be a George. Anyways, um, but in the more recent Star Trek um, series like Picard and Discovery, which I know are Johnson's favorite um, series. Oh, my God. Don't get me so started. Much. Please, uh, let's keep please on going. Let's keep on going. No, no, yes. Just, we're going to mute. I'm going to mute Johnson right now. And we'll, <laughs> we can continue on with this discussion. Keep on going. But I really appreciate it how they are portraying that struggle they're going through. Like, this was not an easy choice for them to make. Even jumping to the future or the stuff they're handling and 
for Johnson's sake, I'll jump to saying in Strange New Worlds with Captain Pike and that reoccurring mm-hmm. image of his death and how that happens and how that's it's not the focus of every single episode, but there's some sort of allusion to it in just about every episode. Like it's it's kind of like it's hiding in the back of his head. And and I like that because Trauma doesn't always mean that it rules and uh, dominates every single part of someone's life. It it varies. Some people have gone through very traumatic experiences, and mm. it's not you know something that they carry with all the time. And there's certain things that may trigger them to kind of relive certain aspects of it. Um, one of the things that happened to me is I studied abroad uh, when I was in university in 2004. I believe. Um, and I went to London at the time that summer and it was a great experience. But one day I do remember I was sitting in a classroom. We were getting ready to meet our professors and I heard this loud bang. Essentially I was there during the uh, bombings. And so I was across the street from the bus that had exploded the remote um, bomb. And then there are two more explosions that had happened in their subways. Um, and so we thought our professors were dead because that was a subway that they would have taken that morning to meet mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. They were fine. Um, they just, all the trains stopped of course. And so they had to walk the entire way. And so it took them a long time to get to us, but it wasn't something that was always on the forefront of my mind when I came back. Um, as a matter of fact, I didn't really think about it. I just kind of talked about it, told people what happened. Um, and then I was sitting in church one day and that Sunday, the pastor was doing some sort of sermon illustration and took out a balloon and popped it. And I could not explain why, but I just broke down sobbing uncontrollably in that moment. And the best thing I could say, and I don't really have clear memories of it, is like, I think I was reminded of my um, mortality at that moment and realizing how close I was to death Um, because I could have just as easily been outside when that bus exploded. And it's not something that rules my life. It's not something that dominates all of my thoughts. It's just something I'll think about every now and then. And that's something I, I, like about the portrayal of captain pike's um traumatic experience of seeing his future it's like it's not always on the forefront and we also have examples of where that is on the forefront that is something that is driving people like um i can't remember the character's name in discovery um his planet quajon was oh book Book, yes Mm. and like how all of his decisions are really based around the loss of his people, or even in the JJ Abrams movies, um, Spock seeing Vulcan being destroyed. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that trauma manifesting. It's like, yes, there are the big ones mm-hmm. as well as these that just kind of fester in the back of our heads. Yeah. I love that. Um, are there any specific like sci-fi tools like that, are have been portrayed in Star Trek to kind of deal with that trauma. Obviously we have, you know, we have mind melds, we have telepathy, we have holodecks. Um, do you think that there have been any that have been particularly effective in the series of deal with trauma? Like one of my favorites, um, I actually really dislike Vic Fontaine, um, the DS9 holographic character. I, I hate Vic yes. Fontaine. 
Uh, I that I complain about Big Fontaine endlessly as well. Um, but one of my favorite episodes of DS9 is um, that follow up to Nog losing his leg, where it's not it's not an addiction, but he can't leave the holodeck. He goes in the holodeck, he goes into Vic's casino and he can't leave because he feels comfort there. He starts to just live there. Ezri tries to come and get him out. And he's like, no, you can't force me to leave. If I leave, if you force me to leave, I'm going to resign. So they're like, okay, all right, we, we got to give him more time. And then Vic is finally the one that helps Nong to realize that He's just afraid, you know, that he, he can't face the real world. He can't go out because he, he, he's afraid of dying. Um, and he, he, it takes him living in the holodeck, very similar to Barclay, but different. But he, it takes him living in the holodeck for weeks for him to come to that conclusion. Um, and eventually he's able to bring himself out of the holodeck and kind of go back to, quote unquote, the real world. Um, but are there any other... Um, sci-fi scenarios that you think have been particularly effective at whether it's an allusion to or a metaphor for how we need to address or treat trauma um, mm. when we do see it. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I really appreciate that brief summary of that DS9 episode because I'm now remembering it's like, oh yeah, that was one mm. of my favorite episodes yeah, that really I good. really mm-hmm. liked. And going back to your earlier question of what can non-mental health professionals, you know, everyday folks who have a friend that are going through something like addiction or a really tough time, what can they do? Mm. And I'll say, be like Vic Fontaine, like be willing Mm. to help someone just be there for them. It's not your job as a human being to come up with the right phrase or like the insightful words that will cause a life change in the person. Mm. It's for you to just be there. And that's what Vic Fontaine did. Right. And by allowing Nog to live with Vic Fontaine and getting to know him, Vic was watching him and observing him and seeing what was going on. He was learning the context of Nog's psyche in a way that his other friends weren't. And so Vic was able to see and get to know Nog, not just his history and who he was, but also who Nog was at the time and mm-hmm. what he when he was going through that. And because he saw all that, because he built that relationship with Nog, Nog was really ready, uh, ready to listen to what Vic had to say when Vic was, you know, giving him some hard truths at the right, time. Right. And Nog knew that those words were not coming from a place of criticism and judgment, but he knew it was coming from a place of care mm-hmm. um, because he saw how Vic was caring for him. He understood Vic was caring um, and wanting him to be better. And so I think that's something that, you know, everyday folks can do is just be there for one another. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. that I mean, that's really great to to hear. Well, how about I take it in this direction? There was one more thing I want to kind of talk about. Yeah, and, sure. Yeah, go ahead. Um, therapy does not look like how it's portrayed in Star Trek. Like, I'm sure, just going to sure. start there. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, it, I would, if I were just to take a wild guess, and if you happen to have listeners out there who were writers on some of these shows and stuff, um, 
I would love to imagine that all the writers of Star Trek (laughs) listen to our podcast. Mike would love it, but I don't know if that's the case. I feel like we have like three listeners. But if I were to take a wild guess, I would say that some of those writers had been through therapy before. Like they had seen a counselor or a therapist. Mm. And because they had been with them for so long, they probably remember like the big insightful moments. Like the moments where they had certain breakthroughs are like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm living life like this. Mm-hmm. And that is really hard to translate into three minutes <laughs> in an episode. Right, and that's right. kind of what I see when I, especially when I look at TNG and the the examples that they have of therapy. Right. There. Yeah. And so what I want to portray and express to your listeners out there is do not expect therapy to be a place where someone like me is going to dispense the sagacious wisdom to you that's going to change your life within three minutes it's like that's not going to happen what's going to happen is the first two sessions is you as the client are going to be talking for almost the entire time Mm -hmm. and the reason for that and what i tell my students when i teach counseling is A lot of these people who come to see you, a lot of these clients have already talked to friends. They've already talked to family and they've had many examples of regular folks who just listened to like a few seconds of their problem and said, oh, you just need to do this or you just need to do that or this is what you need to do. Um, And most of the time that doesn't work. And so for us to avoid that. We need to listen and get as full of a context of the situation as possible. And so, yeah, first two, three sessions might just be you talking a lot. But Mm -hmm. then afterwards, that's when the clinician is able to really dive in with you to really explore, okay, what are some different areas that we can go? Um, I think think that's really important. Yeah, Yeah. I, I think that's really important because, you know, people will often walk away from therapy early on because they don't have those miraculous insights that they kind of expect from therapy right off the get-go. And, and so, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, re, you know, I've heard this from multiple people, you know, that they, all they did was sit there and talk and that was it, you know? So it's, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, it gets frustrating for them because they're going in there looking for a solution and they're not getting the solution quite as, as, uh, fast as they would normally or what they, what they've maybe Mm -hmm. seen on television, whether it be Star Trek, which, you know, most of the people that I've talked to you are not pulling that from Star Trek, but they're pulling it for whatever movies or contacts that they see. You know, I, I, I would bet that, half of those people or or a lot of people get their contacts from like these two-hour rom-coms where they are in therapy and suddenly by the end of the two hours their life is all wonderful you know rainbows and unicorns as we like to say here on deep space pride so yes um, all the time (laughs) um it's johnson's favorite thing to say rainbows and unicorns so um you know i think that you know, that maybe that's an opportunity for Star Trek in general to show Mm -hmm. something over the long term that, uh, you know, the payoff is not. And also maybe to have scenes where that person is expressing the frustration of all I did was talk for 50 minutes. You know, they didn't say the, you know, the therapist didn't say anything. And, 
kind of offer that perspective. Uh, I think that Sam, that is the most valuable thing that I, you know, I mean, we've talked a lot of, about it, but if, you know, that would be the audio clip that I would want people to mm -hmm. like latch on to mm -hmm. is that piece right there, that there is no like snap, right. easy fix for it, but also like it's a process, like it's a process of the clinician listening to the client for, you know, several sessions, like you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And but despite the fact that I really disliked Discovery season four, I huh? I appreciate you didn't I, like season four, really? <laughs> um <laughs> let's I'm not go shocked. down that rabbit hole. Um I'm shocked. whatever. You didn't like season four that much either. Mike. I know, I'm kidding. Shut the F up. I'm just okay. messing. <laughs> um shut up. Okay. In any case, um, one thing I did appreciate about season four. And I think it was like frustrating, but it was, it was also realistic books. Like the process of him grieving in his journey, it was very much, it, and I think it was frustrating because it was like two steps forward, one step back. And that was, there were many instances of that through the entire season. And you saw people around him, including Michael, get frustrated with him, not understand um, why he was so angry or why he can let go of his anger um, and even after there were moments when he seemed to make a breakthrough or there was clarity, um, he would go back to some, you know, some funk or, you know, being really just kind of dwelling in his anger. And I did think that that was realistic. I, I did appreciate that mm -hmm. um, because oftentimes um, I, I think that that's probably real life. Like you, you feel like you make a breakthrough and you actually, and then the next day you're like, but why don't I feel catharsis? You know, why don't I feel better? Um, because it is a process and it takes a while, you know, and everyone's journey is different. Um, mm -hmm. So I do, I do think that that was a great portrayal of grief and anger and him having to work through things. And obviously there are these like all sci-fi elements that are happening, um, including like mind melts and such. Um, but we do see him grapple with that and wrestle with it. And we also see how the people around him, such as Michael or even President Tarina or Culber are affected by it. And I, I did appreciate that journey. It was, and to me as a viewer, it was a little frustrating, um, but I think that it would also be frustrating to be honest in real life. Like, you know, like maybe watching someone that you love um, having to grapple with grief or trauma and just seeing that, it, you know, that it, it's taking them longer than you would like, but you know, no one can dictate the timeline. I mean, that's the most, in, uh, that's the most positive it is, thing you've it is. ever said about Absolutely. discovery ever. Yes. But yes. I, I also think, I also think that what was lacking in that season though, is was more discussion around that hmm. and more um, because, you know, what you just said kind of clarified a lot of season four for me where I was getting frustrated. Hmm. I was probably that person who was, you know, getting frustrated with the fact that, you know, book is not changing when what you just explained was it's, it is a process, which I know, but yeah. for me that, that sort of helped it out, helped me out and understanding it just now from what you said. But I think that there was an opportunity to make that a little more obvious and a, maybe a little less of a centerpiece of the se the entire season. Um, maybe, you know, that's just, again, you know, I, there are many issues with, season four of discovery Absolutely. that 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 being one of them but um 
yeah, for me, I think you just helped clarify some, some of my own frustration with that. Oh, you're welcome. Peace. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was a great that. summation of books trauma through season four. Yeah, it really yeah. was. Uh, you know, I, I just wish it wasn't so much of a focus. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. All right. Well, Dr. Sam, thank you so much for just all your insight. We love that you're a Star Trek fan and that you're able to take that fandom and just see it through your lens as a professional. Um, do you have any parting words for our listeners? Anything that you want to leave them with? Wow. No pressure, right? No pressure though. <laughs> no pressure. Um, I, I really like our discussion and talking about what therapy looks like. And the only thing I would add to that is just be there for one another. Uh, there's so much research to show that social supports. Um, so your friend groups, your family, and I would guess like even the Star Trek fandom, like there's a kind of like a small kind of like family kind of feel to that. Supporting one another through that will make you and a lot of other people very resilient to the stressors of this world. And last time I checked and you know read the news, there's plenty of stressors in this world oh, just a few. Uh, for us to be yeah. uh, stressed about. So be there for one another and try to be a united federation with one another. And then the last thing I would say is... I would give my left arm to people to do a mind mill. That would make my job so much easier. Oh my God. You would make millions. Maybe not millions, but you'd make a lot of money. But then you would have all that junk in your head. You know, you'd have to That's like, true. you know, you'd have but to. Then you uh, compartmentalize it like a Vulcan, you know, just yeah, like make sure. boxes and like lock them up. What do you, uh, I, I think for someone who might be listening to this and, and, and is is like, you know, I, I think I might need some therapy, some counseling. What kind of resources do you point people to um, if they're living outside of the states that you're kind of a licensed therapist? In? Sure thing. I mean, even in the licenses or even in the states that I do have my license, I would encourage people uh, to look up some directories like Psychology Today. There's plenty of people there. Um, one of the first places I tell people to go to is check their insurance um, and call up their insurance and ask like, do you cover mental, are there mental health benefits Mm -hmm. that are covered? And then they're usually linked with certain professionals. Additionally, if you work for a company, there's often employee assistance programs that provide certain amounts of free therapy. So check that out as another resource. Um, The other thing that I want to mention that's probably not talked about a lot is if you are a different culture, ethnicity than your therapist, that conversation is going to be a lot longer because there's going to be a lot more context that needs to be taken. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's hard to find someone who overlaps with you. Like if I had a client who was into Star Trek, I mean, it'd be so much fun. We could use like Star Trek analogies to talk about sure. them overcoming things uh, with wonder and using that as a medium, which I right, think would right. be so fun. Um, probably could write a paper on that too, but that's a whole nother story. Um For Asian Americans, there's the Asian American uh, Mental Health Network, I think is what it's called. And that's a directory of Asian American mental health therapists that are out there. And I'll send you the link for it so you can add that. Yeah. And then lastly, the nonprofit organization that I work with is called mustardseedgeneration.org. And they have a directory of Korean American therapists um, in various states across the country. Um, And each one of those therapists that are on the mustardseedgeneration.org website have been vetted the organization has talked to these people know who they are um, they've checked their licenses so they're good they're real not holographic like real, pe- real <laughs> psychologists, real people. yeah 
Yeah, I think that cultural thing also extends extends obviously to the LGBTQ community, yes, where sure, you yeah. know finding finding a therapist who uh, who isn't in in that uh, you know spectrum of, of people would help mm-hmm. in, in anyone's journey as well. Well, thanks so much, Sam, for for joining us today, for being a part of this. Where can people go if they want to learn more about you and your oh. podcast and and the and your foundation? Uh, oh, I have a foundation. <laughs> or, well, the nonprofit that you're involved with. The nonprofit that you're involved uh, the nonprofit That'd be cool, though. You should start a foundation. Just do it. I yes. know. That'd be so cool. Uh, the nonprofit organization is mustardseedgeneration.org, of which I'm a board member, and they just do some really cool stuff. Uh, I have my own personal website, which is samuelykim.com, and you can find my podcast information there. I also have a few other things on there. I've been thinking about pulling my blog back up again, but um, apparently there's only 24 hours in a day. So um, that would be a place that the people can find out more about me. Unless you're in Bajor and then there's 26 hours. <laughs> oh my day, God. So. Oh. Nerd. There you go. There you well, go. The prophets have not blessed me. <laughs> Nor any of us. Well, thanks so much for joining Thank us, you for Dr. Having Sam. Me. It's been a pleasure and uh, we really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Thanks, Dr. Sam. Thank you all. All right. Well, that was another great episode, Mike. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about our sponsor? Yes. So Fansets is the premier sponsor of Deep Space Pride and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. And they are actually out with probably everyone who might be listening to this or might not be uh, at formerly called Star Trek Las Vegas, now the 56-year mission um and if you go over to their table say hi to them tell them you heard uh, you you're a listener to either deep space pride or any of the truck geeks podcasts um but go check out their pins they have so many awesome pins including they're going to have a hundred sets of the memorial pin sets from strange new worlds there they're also uh they just released this i think yesterday um meaning sunday they posted a picture of the next generation badge that's going to join their Delta collection, which looks amazing. I believe they're possibly going to have a few at the convention. Wait, is this, is this just the next gen com badge? Yeah. It's a new, the, a new Delta to add to the collection. Yeah. They just announced it yesterday. Wait, but they, don't they have the TNG one already? Or is there? No, a, is there a no, one? not the original, not the, this is the season one, two, like the, not the Voyager Deep Space oh, Nine okay. one. Okay. This is the original, like, season one. Season one TNG. TNG right. Tom badge. Yes. Okay. So okay. they've worked really hard. It's Thank gone through many. Yeah, no problem. They, they've they had many uh, iterations. They've been working really hard on it, and it looks gorgeous. So go on over to their booth. Uh, I don't know when it's going to be up on fansets.com, but you can also keep checking there. Um, they're also going to have uh, the Delta collection from Star Trek Strange New Worlds, including uh, the Operations and Sciences badges, which are going to come out in late September and October. So go and check all of those out. Tell them we sent you there. Um, if not, head over to fansets.com, put a bunch of pins into your cart. If you spend more than $30 in the US, you're going to get free shipping and as a bonus, add the promo code TREKGEEKS, all caps, all one word, 
and you're going to get 10% off your order. And we want to thank Fansets for supporting Deep Space Pride and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Thanks, Fansets. All right. Another great episode. Uh, for those of you that want to reach out to us, you can do so on email or on social media. You can reach us at deepspacepride at gmail.com. Or you can DM us on Twitter and Instagram at DSpacePride. And one of us, probably Mike, will respond to you because I don't check those things. Cool. All right. Well, that's it for us for this episode. Yeah. Um, we're not going to be in Vegas. Um, not. I'm not. I don't really feel FOMO, so I'm fine. But I, I'm feeling a little FOMO. Uh, you know, I, hanging out with the rest of the Truck Geeks family would have been cool. Uh, they're a cool bunch. It been, uh, it been fun, but then it would also have been exhausting. But it would have been fun. It, yes, but yes. such is life. You know, such is life. Right. Uh, it's um, all a trade off. We'll probably be exhausted from our festivities in Boston. Yes. And weddings, yes. you and everyone weddings. else in the car will get to sleep as I drive us back from Boston. On I can help Sunday. navigate. Uh, I, I could read. No, I, I do not need to. <laughs> I don't need it out there, you know, because I like being helpful. Do you? Do you? Really? Sometimes. Sometimes. Well, um, yes. So we hope you're all having fun out in Vegas or wherever you are as you also, you're going to be enjoying the premiere episode of Lower Decks. Oh, right. That's this week. uh, Yes. So go check that out. Let us know what you think of the premiere episode. Uh, I I think it's great. Uh, Johnson has yet to watch it. He's waiting like everyone else Mm -hmm. to see it. So... Definitely check that out. Let us know what you think. And we will see you back here next week to talk about that episode. Bye, everyone. Deep Space Pride is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Coconut!